Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Blue Wire. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the last. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cleveland Cavaliers select. Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. Here comes Sexton. Some ribbon. And he got it, young ball. Continues to wear him up. Do you know what the Cavs fans are calling the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt? What? Sexland. Oh, that's good. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. Brought to you today by our friends at Bet Online as well as Blue Chew. I'm your host, Justin Rowan, and with me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? Dude, I just hear an audible sigh out of our guest as this podcast started. Dude, I, I thought about addressing that, and I thought about editing it out. I'm leaving all that in. I, I, I think that's the perfect way to start this off. And- listen, listen, coming off uh, A City of Champions, which is a, a series we were really, really proud of, I think... Um, Talking about the, I there's think, the talk, blown tire. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It wasn't even a voice crack. I swallowed some spit and I nearly died. So this is what we're doing off the top of, uh, off the best thing we've done is we're going to talk about the 2020 NBA draft class, which Let's is go. our hot fucking garbage. Oh my goodness. This is the perfect way to start this. I want to actually start this with a big thank you to everybody because uh, the, the Chase Down Nation, everybody really stepped up, and the the feedback we got really meant a lot to us. I mean, the, this whole situation has been a bit of a nightmare. So for us to have a, a project like that, it, it was so much fun for us to do it. And I really, really want to say off the top, big thank you to everybody that, that supported that series. It really meant a lot to yeah, Carter, that I was, was kind of. I was, I was clearing I, out for you. To, I, to I, I was. I was muted. Um, and uh, I, I'm sorry. I, this isn't going to be my best podcast. <laughs> but with that said, uh, yeah, City Champions. It was. Uh, it was really, really fun to do. I think the product ended up pretty good, and I think that the reception was great. And people are still listening to it, which I think is really cool. Um, we really wanted to make something that's evergreen, uh, and we think this is something that people are going to come back to. And uh, yeah, it was it was definitely the most fun I've had on this podcast since we've started it. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> well, even though this isn't going to be the best podcast for you, we are a little out of practice. It's been about a month. We brought in one of our heavy hitters. Listeners of the Chase Down podcast will know this guy from the step back, Trevor Magnotti. He is our draft expert, and we are going to be doing a few podcasts on the draft coming up. And what better way to start that off? with our buddy Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing good. Um, we're recording over Zoom, so we are doing the exact same amount of pre-draft process that all of the NBA teams are, which is great. The thing that I've said from the beginning is the thing that this draft needs is less chances to see these guys and less film and less ability to actually be able to scout them and more just going off a of gut feeling. So it's going to be awesome. I'm really glad funny. that this is how it's working. It's funny, this was probably going to be one of the weirder drafts, even without this whole virus situation, because there were so many players that uh, were either missing the majority of this year that weren't playing in college. Uh, they, the guys that, at least out of the, the top lottery picks, a lot of the guys that 
um, are going to go there uh, aren't really on the most prominent teams, especially when you look at last year and you had Duke, where you, you had three prospects, really high-profile prospects, all playing together. Uh, the, the focus of everybody that cared about the draft was on that team. And this year is just the, the polar opposite. Trevor, can you kind of speak towards because you have to actually produce content on this type of stuff fairly regularly. How difficult has this year been for you? Oh, it's been horrible. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of international guys in this class, and you, you'll hear some people talk about how that complicates things. It's really not that hard to scout guys like LaMelo and RJ Hampton and Denny um, because they're, they're, you know, they're playing – high-level competition. You can find most of their games on YouTube. It's really not that hard anymore to scout the international game. But you're right. I just kind of counted through my top 10, and I'll throw uh, James Wiseman in here just because he's probably going to go top 10. Of those guys, there are four guys who didn't finish the season due to a combination of injury and or weird situations that ke that kept them out of, out of play. Uh, LaMelo Ball – R.J. Hampton, um, Tyrese Halliburton, and James Wiseman all missed the end of the season. And then a fifth player, Cole Anthony, missed a huge chunk of time. So, you know, that's half of the projected probable top ten prospects that we just didn't get like half the season of, which, you know, super helpful. Um, so I think that has created a lot of the vacuum at the top is just, is just the players that are projected to go up there even without like a number one guy, a clear guy who you can, you can say this guy is probably a franchise changer. The, the rest of the top 10, there's so much flux because a lot of these guys just didn't play basketball for a huge chunk of the season. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to be able to see kind of the incremental development that, you know, you can see guys take on throughout the year. We saw very uh, closely with Jarrett Culver last year, for example. And that just wasn't there for a lot of these guys. So you're basing a lot of their tape on, you know, Wiseman, three college basketball games, one of which came against a team that was actually good and had a NBA-level player, much less several of them. Uh, LaMelo Ball, season ended in January. RJ Hampton, season over in January. Tyrese Halliburton, season ends halfway through conference play. Um it's it's that more than anything else makes this just super difficult and then you get to the fact that you know now we don't have a combine now we don't have team workouts it's really hard to be able to project where these guys are even going to go in in this draft we have no idea what this order is going to look like when things unfold whenever that draft comes yeah we, we don't even know when the damn draft is going to happen i i think the best place to start this off and it's a space where carter's comfortable because my my poor guy carter he's he's a little bit behind when it comes to the the whole draft here he has not had a lot of time to do research so uh we're, we're going to have a little bit of fun with that but i where i want to start things off is of the players that are currently on the cleveland cavaliers are there any that would impact your decision-making when it comes to this draft? Is, is there anybody that you feel strongly enough in to impact whether or not you draft a guy or factor at all into that decision-making? Carter, do, when you look at the, the guards that are currently on this roster, are you confident enough in any of them to kind of prevent you from taking a guard? Because this is really such a guard-heavy draft. 
Can I say a thing that would probably repulse uh, uh, any front office executive that uh, actually does this for a living? I just don't want a small guard because I don't want any more small guards. <laughs> it has very little to do with my belief level in Garland or Sexton and very much to do with like, it's just such a freaking like hassle to figure out how to make these guys function early on in their career. Um, it just feels like years and years since the Cavs had a rookie who is, you know, uh, like a big wing, uh, <laughs> uh, that like, or like, you know, the, a center the thing about the modern NBA is big wings don't really factor in at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, yeah, it just feels like they, they're just so tiny, uh, on the court almost all the time. And like, it just feels like, and it doesn't work in a vacuum, right? Like, yeah, you could say, even if you didn't believe in Garland or Sexton, thought just take the best player, those guys are still going to play. So then you, they're going to probably end up inevitably playing together. So if you take a small guard, uh, they're going to have to be guarding shooting guards a lot because you got Darius Garland on your team and you got Colin Sexton on your team. So like the, the problem compounds itself kind of no matter what you do uh, if you take a small guard. So I, mm-hmm. that's kind of my line of thinking. Uh, no, no one on this team precludes me taking any position. But just from a personal headache perspective, I feel like undersized point guards, I could take a year off. Mm-hmm. Well, the good <laughs> news is that the only one that's really that short, like I, I think if you look at the top 10 prospects, the only guy that's really below 6'5 is um, Cole Anthony. And, and I, I really don't think the Cavs are going to go that direction, which means, hey, maybe they will. Trevor, how, how do you feel about the, the current set of guards on, on this team? And Obviously, the presence of Dylan Windler as a, a cornerstone it has to weigh on your mind, right? Yeah, I, def- I definitely think this is a situation where I don't think there is a single player that impacts my decision, but it's the groups of players that impact the decision. Because Colin Sexton is not good enough, is not like, you know, a can't miss guy that you are really sold on building around. Neither is Garland in the, uh, in the front court. You know, we don't know what Andre Drummond's future is going to be or Tristan or Kevin Love, but you have all of those guys together. So that really, I think precludes taking like Carter said, another small guard because you cannot play these guys together. Um, You cannot have two small guards on the floor all the time. And you also are going to run into some issues who, regardless of who the bigs are coming into next year, if you take a big. So I, I really, you know, there's the mainstream talking points when it comes to the Cavs, you can tell that there's like no consideration of the roster construction. Everybody just kind of goes to, Oh, this team's bad. They just need talent. Just, right. Yeah. Just take whoever. Well, the problem is like, you're going to limit the, performance of that young player early on and you're also going to impact the success that you're going to put the guys that are already on your roster in in terms of putting them in optimal positions so like you're going to negatively impact both of those things both the player you're bringing in is probably not going to be optimized and the players that you already have aren't going to be optimized Mm -hmm. and you can make the argument well yeah you can just trade one of those guys you can just trade Darius Garland or you can just trade Colin Sexton. Well, it's a little hard to do that when you play half a season and they suck because they're being put in these really terrible positions for them. You know, you're going to have probably Darius Garland guarding some shooting guards. You're going to have Colin Sexton taking a majority of 
you know, off, off ball time. If you've got, if you've got multiple creators out there and then suddenly you're going to offload one of them for probably less than the return value would be otherwise. Right. And then suddenly are going to understand that you, you have three guys playing the same position and that you likely have to move one. So you're not going to get as great offers as you may in another situation. Yeah, if you know that you need to move a guy, other teams definitely know that you need to move that guy. And then you get killed because you didn't get a good return. So it's like this it's it's this really flawed logic that it, that I hate seeing and like I really push back against them taking a lot of the guards on the board this year because not only are they not are they not good fits in terms of building a rotation, they're not good fits playing with any of the of the guards that they already have on the roster. So it's a really tough it's a really tough thing for me to say, oh yeah, they should definitely take one of the, one of the guards if, um, if they get up there in the top three pick, because like one, these guys aren't good enough to justify it. You can't confidently say that they're going to be better than Sexton and Garland. And you definitely can't say that if you're forcing them to play with those two. Mm-hmm. As I we think go if through you this, the, oh, like, go ahead, I perfect. think looking at the Cavs last year, like Garland was clearly like the best prospect on the board for them at this on their board at that point. So it really didn't matter roster construction. I don't really see based on what I've learned about this draft, which again, admittedly very little, it feels like there isn't really any tier one guys to start with. So there isn't a guard that could force your hand. Yeah. Yeah. And and the way that I want to do this, Trevor, is as we go through these prospects, we're we're going to work our way through the tankathon big board. Um I, I just, oh God. I figured that that was the, the way that we were going to do this. The the, um, the tank the tankathon mock draft, I just looked it up before this. It is a disaster if you look at how the how the players match up with some of the teams. There are some I, I, I saw you I saw your tweet mentioning that. And it's that's incredible. part of what inspired that. So there's two things I want. I, I want two things from you and I want one thing from Carter. Trevor, I want you to give us how you feel about this prospect in a vacuum and how confident you feel that the Cavs would create an environment or can provide an environment where this guy is going to develop well and approach his ceiling. Carter, what I want from you, and we're going to start with you as we go to the first prospect on the board, I want you, Mr. I-don't-know-the-draft, to tell me what you think this player is. We're, we're going to start with that. And starting with number one is LaMelo Ball. Carter, what do you think LaMelo Ball is? I think my idea of what LaMelo Ball is is like a more reckless Lonzo. Like, that doesn't defend. <laughs> okay. Trevor, is that am I, am I in the right Am I right in the right neighborhood? Well, I definitely think that's, that's a potential outcome for LaMelo. He, he's a good, he's a very good passer, very good decision maker. And I think that that's kind of the draw of him is he consistently makes kind of those little winning hustle plays and moving the ball plays that you want a guy who's not going to be your primary guy, but is probably your secondary ball handler to make. He does have some defensive concerns and he does play really reckless sometimes so like it's a matter of whether or not he's going to be able to shore up those two things whether he's going to be able to use his size to his advantage I think that he's probably around six seven and you can potentially use him as a three if he's willing to commit to playing defense and I think that if he's a good shooter then using him as like a primary guy really makes sense um whether or not you think that he can do those things given everything else that we know about kind of the circus that's probably going to come with him is kind of that I think 
informs how you feel about him. Do you think that he, in the right situation, can overcome those things and can, can get to that point where he's able to use his talents well? Or is he always going to kind of be just kind of this baseline level player that's pretty erratic and um, has a lot of baggage coming along with him? Mm-hmm. If he ends up in a organization run by Dan Gilbert and the Cavs front office, you're going to get the second option. You're going to get the option where the the baggage is probably going to be an issue. And I really don't think that he is a great fit for the Cavs. He's a lot better than some of the other fits of some of the top guys on, on this board. But I really don't think that this is the team to optimize him and be able to get a good return on investment, especially if you're picking number one or number two. I My think big that... thing with LaMelo is – Personally, like I, I could see a world where Lamelo fits incredibly well, especially let's say it's a lineup of Lamelo, Colin Sexton, and Kevin Porter Jr. Like I can see that pairing work, especially if all three of those guys are bought into defense. Kevin Porter Jr. I think that's been one of his biggest um, um, surprises with this season was he's already a, a pretty decent defender, especially for someone his age. The thing that concerns me with Lamelo. And this wouldn't be a concern if I thought he was somebody that had, like, let's say Ben Simmons upside. I, I don't think that he's that caliber of prospect. I do think he's going to be a good player in the NBA. I'm, I don't think that he's going to be a bust. I, I agree with your sentiment that I don't think it works out in this version of the Cavs because I can just see that being a situation where right off the bat, you have four guards that are all fighting for minutes. You, you have LeVar Wayne in. Um, maybe like you're going to have a camp situation where those guys are going to all compete for a starting role. And, and let's say, let's say Darius Garland makes a leap. Let's say Kevin Porter Jr. Makes a leap and they want to start um, Sexton and KPJ and that pairing is working out. Does that go well with LaMelo? Does that help him along his development curve? And because I think that there's other prospects that are on the same tier as him, I don't want to, I, I want to go with the prospect that's on the same tier as him, but is a better fit and is more likely to reach their ceiling in the Cavs situation. I, I, I think the Cavs could handle LaMelo. I just think with the personnel that's already there, it gets a little bit dicey right off the bat. LeVar antics aside, I always felt like Lonzo seemed like a kind of a nice young man. Uh, whenever I look at LaMelo on like IG, I think he's probably like mean to passers-by. <laughs> like, like, kind of like, you know, like, you know, one of those like little shithead kids. I don't trust him. Hashtag Pass. analysis. Thank you. <laughs> Trevor, do you have anything to add on Lamel? I, I think that kind of kind of with what we're talking about here kind of fits with what I my kind of sinking feeling has been with ball is like I would just rather be the second team that has Lamelo ball the team that kind of like <laughs> you know if he ends up in a bad situation and they're kind of like you know he gets in that Dennis Smith situation where it's like a year and a half in you're like it's clearly not going to work for us but clearly this guy has talent and definitely could turn around somewhere else like if he's had an, the opportunities to kind of get some of this stuff out of his system as he's kind of continuing to, be, to develop or he gets put in a bad situation, I would want to be the team that's taking a chance on 21-year-old Lamelo rather than 19-year-old. That sounds fun. The, the, that's, 
like this is such a big thing for me with the Cavs. I just want a little bit of stability. I want something that that makes sense. And the number two guy on the Tankathon big board is someone that makes a lot of sense and has been my draft crush. And that's uh, Onyeka Okongwu. Um, I'm very, very high on him. Carter, who do you think he is as a player? Okay, I actually know a little bit about this guy. I've seen some clips. There's a clip where that I saw where he uh, shoots the gap and gets a steal and takes the ball all the way down the court in transition and yams on someone. And I'm in. Uh, <laughs> his per 36, he's, he has about uh, five stocks a game uh, in blocks and steals. Uh, and just seems like a guy that just feels like it feels so unlikely that this guy misses. He's one of the few guys I've done some homework on and he allows you to, um, you know, have a transition plan from Andre Drummond if he opts in and you don't really like him. And if he's good enough, you move on from Drummond anyway. It's kind of great. Um, and it just, it just seems like that guy makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, Justin, I've talked about this a lot with you about how I just, it feels like it's been so long since the Cavs were good defensively. And I, it's what I want to prioritize. In this and draft. the idea of adding a guy who is going to be a rim runner, uh, who seems to have really soft hands from what I've, from the, from the film I've watched of him um, that disrupts on defense, but also uh, isn't someone who seems to be wildly chasing out of position. I just, I just am a really big fan of what I've seen from him. Am I off Trevor? No, that's that's exactly what I what I like about him. I think that at the baseline, he's going to be like a Clint Capella type. That's going to be like at least a at least a top seven rim protector in the league. Um, oh, so like a guy, you still can, my heart. So like you can't you can build a defense around him even if he's not like Gobert level. And offensively, he's just going to be a really really good pick and roll option. Like. We we talk we talk a lot about the the defensive deficiencies that the Cavs have had. Even with Tristan, it's been a long time since the Cavs have had a guy who could just consistently, you know, every time is just going to be able to catch the ball on the move in the pick and roll. Um, and I, I think that that is a huge benefit for him. Plus, I think that he can eventually do other stuff. I think that he's going to be a pretty good perimeter defender eventually. You can have him out, out in space defending comfortably. Um, offensively, he's got enough passing touch. He's got good enough touch out of the out of base-up opportunities that this guy may actually have a little bit of an offensive ceiling when he gets mm-hmm. to be about 23-24. Um, so I, I think there are few – guys who are better bets in terms of we just need an NBA player and anything beyond that is is just really nice he, he's a guy who I think fits that bill um and even if Drummond's around next year and you have him on the board I think that his strength could use enough development that you can maybe have him take a little bit of a back seat maybe just have him play spot minutes and select lineups try to pair him like for example, with like Kevin Love in bench lineups and just have him run pick and rolls with Love's spacing and just have that be it with the transition plan being, okay, when Drummond's gone, this is this is going to be our guy now that he's added another 15 pounds. So I, I think that the fit for him in Cleveland is pretty good. I think that he is one of the safer prospects in the draft and when I say safe I mean safe that you're getting a rotation player with some potential that he's going to be a core piece long term yeah the biggest thing for me is uh, like I want in this draft because there doesn't seem to be a guy that is 
a clear, okay, this guy's a transcendent offensive talent. This guy is someone that can run everything for you. I want to prioritize defense. Like that is one of my biggest things in this draft is I, I want someone that can cover up for some of the deficiencies of this team. And Okongwu just makes so much sense to me. And I, I'm not really concerned about finding minutes for him with Drummond. Uh, they had been able to do that with Tristan Thompson and Thompson in all likelihood. Well, like one of those guys is going to be gone next season. Um, mm-hmm. they, there's no way that they, they have both of them on the roster. And I, I can see him pairing easily with Kevin Love at times. I can see him working with Larry Nance. Uh, Drummond is now a stretch five, apparently. So maybe you can get him doing some rim running there if need be. Um, but he's somebody that, and, and I know conventional wisdom is you don't take a center very high in the draft. Uh, you don't use a lottery pick on him. But I feel like that sentiment doesn't really apply when it comes to someone like him. Because he seems more to be in the uh, Adebayo role or uh, Pascal Siakam. Like, he doesn't have the, the playmaking. He hasn't shown that. Um, but, but those guys were raw, too. And I don't think you can necessarily assume there's going to be the same sort of offensive growth. But he seems like a really high-floor player that fits that mold, that can defend, um, could potentially defend every position. And, and I feel like centers like that shouldn't be lumped into the, well, they're dinosaurs mindset. Like that seems like a very, very modern pick. It's a center yeah, for very, a modern NBA team. Very few bigs that are kind of defensive anchors are both rim protectors and switchers. Um, you know, like we've Super made rare. plenty of jokes about Rudy Gobert uh, and how he gets torched in the postseason. Uh, it's part of what made Pete Tristan as good as he was, is that he could do a little bit of both, though he was never an elite rim protector. This guy seems to be able to be an elite rim protector and maybe, uh, you know, an, an adequate and maybe an above average switch defender down the line. And uh, those kind of guys get don't get played off the court. Like, I mean, ultimately, I think that's what you're looking for in a draft that is kind of a crapshoot is like a, when this team is good, is this guy going to be able to play? <laughs> is, is he going to get knocked off the court? Like, that's what you don't want to look for. Like, when you look for kind of these, like, safe rotation players, it's like you don't want them to be so safe and so low ceiling that they have some glaring flaw that, like, they just can't hang. And, like, it just seems like there's no way this guy won't be able to hang uh, in, in, a, in a tight contest. Trevor, I, I, before we move off him, I do want to just ask one more question, which is just – you know, when you talk about a guy like uh, Okongwu going up maybe even first overall if the Cavs win the lottery, some people will kind of recoil. Do you think that's crazy to take a guy like this number one overall in this draft? No, I, d- I don't think that's crazy because I think that he's shown enough flashes of of kind of that high-level upside. And especially it, it really helps Okongwu that he's coming along in the draft the year that Bam Adebayo really broke out as an offensive player in addition to his defensive player of the year level performance Um, because he's shown kind of a lot of the similar stuff in terms of being able to catch the ball on the move and make decisions, uh, being able to put the ball on the floor a little bit, being able to stretch a little bit beyond just kind of the mid post as a shooter um, that makes you think, hey, Adebayo, like, basically was the Heat's turnaround this year. I mean, yeah, Jimmy Butler had a lot to do with it, but Adebayo breaking out was the main reason that they were so good. What if I can get a guy and do the same thing, especially on a team that is horrible defensively this year? 
I, I really think that that situation is, is really good. And when you, when you look at him and you look at the other centers in the draft and you realize this is the only good center in this draft. He's really the only like prom- like guy that you can say, hey, competent rotation player, high likelihood in terms of the big men in, in this class. And I, I, think, I think if you are a team that's that committed to building your defense up around the players that you already have, that is, that is a totally justifiable pick um, within the top three. Um, I just don't think that's going to end up happening. I think that teams don't view him in the same way in terms of the defensive ceiling as they do um, – as, or as a lot of draft winners. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the safe bet isn't always the most popular one. Uh, but if you are looking to scratch that betting itch, Trevor, there's always betonline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our explo- exclusive, I almost said our explosive partner, and they <laughs> are, but they're mostly exclusive. Bet online still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack. They're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, though one would think that's probably next to go. Uh, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Justin, chew on that. I will chew on that, Carter. Our next sponsor, nobody is going to confuse them for being an explosive partner because they are the exact opposite of that. It is Blue Chew. And guys, if you're looking a little last a little bit longer and go a few extra rounds, go to bluechew.com. Bluechew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them any time of day or at night, even on a full stomach. Although, I, I gotta be honest, I, I don't advise doing the do when you have a full stomach. I, that's that's just coming from me. I, I don't think that that's the way to go. You're just setting yourself up for failure. This yeah. isn't a, this has nothing to do with blue chew. Just come on, guys. Yeah, j- just use some common you, sense. Don't It's risk like it. swimming. Give yourself at least 30 minutes, you know? Exactly, exactly. Plus, you don't have to go to the doctor's office or spend time in a waiting room in or in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Do you think they named their product after, um, after our podcast network? You know what? It, it's there's some good synergies there. there there's oh. a lot of good synergies there. You know. Also, you, before you, you yeah, before you pivot off, because I know you're getting ready to. Without looking it up, do you think blue shoes are like gummies or like kind of like a Tums esque solution? I'm thinking I'm, Tums. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like thinking the tums. chalky. I'm thinking Tums, and, and while I'm thinking of longevity and lasting longer, I want prospects that are going to last a long time in the NBA as well. They, Carter, they appear to be chalky. <laughs> 
And they kind of come in like what looks like a condom wrapper. Speaking of chalk, let's go to the next prospect on our billboard, <laughs> Killian Hayes, who I am very confident is going to last a long time in the NBA. And I, I don't know how his bedroom performance is, but let's let's assume that it's good. Oh, he's like Hayes 17. So. <laughs> who, do you, who do you think he is as a prospect? I'm thinking like a Dante Exum type with like, but like what we wanted Dante Exum to be, not what he is. Trevor, Potts? how far off is he? I, I think I think that could potentially be good. I mean, realistically, it's far enough out. You could say whatever you want Dante Axum could have been. I, well, I what we wanted him to be, you know? I like, certainly uh, don't remember. <laughs> I rem- oh, you don't remember? I, I, I remember I watched the Hoop Summit uh, where Dante Axum beat the shit out of the Harrison Twins. It was Dante Axum and Dennis Schroeder, and the Harrison Twins were very hyped at the time. Yeah, maybe yeah. that maybe that explains things a little bit. Yeah, so I both would, those guys, <laughs> we thought both <laughs> those guys were special, and it turns out they were just playing absolute scrubs. Uh, but, but yeah, I, yeah, tell me about Killian. I I I like to I like to call Killian Hayes waffle good Lamelo Ball um, because okay. they're they're both good at about the same things, except Hayes is just way more disciplined, um, and I I think has a lot more kind of points in the right spot in the right spots of his skill set that I think are going to project him to be more comfortably a good rotation player. Um, he's a little bit better shooter, um, especially off the dribble. Um, I think, I think that that's a little bit further along and he has a very good free throw, uh, percentage and good touch in the middle of the paint. So that projects well to him eventually becoming a good catch and shoot guy, even though he wasn't this season. Um, I think he has the same level of court vision. Um, and I think his touch on passes is a little bit better. And then defensively, he's he's one of the smartest team defenders among the top prospects in terms of being able to defend on the perimeter. His his ability to just find the right spot and make rotations to cover for other guys is really, I think, one of the most underrated skills in this draft class. Um, he still needs some polish um had a monstrous turnover rate i think he was over 25 percent of his possessions ended in a turnover uh through most of the season um he and darius will get along yeah he did get it down at at the end of the year so that was promising and also some of his some of his footwork is a little bit of an adventure um he can always get himself in the right spot but his path to get there is sometimes a little bit mind-numbing um he likes to take the scenic route on his rotate on his closeouts sometimes um but i think i think that when you look at his skill set compared to lamello's and you say which guy is going to be a good like third guard in two years I think that Hayes has a much higher likelihood of being that guy. And more importantly, I think that his skill set is just going to fit a little bit better with what the Cavs have. Um, Because I don't think he's a guy that's going to need a ton of possessions to be useful. I think he's a guy who can be comfortable spotting up up off the ball. He can be comfortable as a cutter and attacking off of primary sets where maybe he's the bailout option and then runs a secondary pick and roll with like Kevin Love. And that's the second action in your offense. I think he's comfortable with that. And I think that he's big enough and, and good enough as a defender that he can defend the two and the three comfortably. And you can have, you know, lineups where maybe Sexton is defending the point of attack and um, Hayes is taking the best wing and then you can hide Garland on whoever the spot up shooter. 
Jones um, if you're considering playing those three guys together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that of the guards in this class, if you're talking which one's going to fit best in a three-guard lineup because you're going to be playing those um, if you take a guard along with what the current roster is, he's the best guy to fit in those types of lineups. I mean, realistically, we're probably when, playing three-guard lineups even if we take a, a big when it <laughs> when you consider <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr. is in the mix. And to, to me right now, I mean, Colin Sexton, I think it's safe to say he has the highest floor. Like, he's proven a lot to me this season that he, he's a legitimate scorer and you're, you're always going to find a spot for a guy like that in any lineup. Uh, but KPJ is a, to me is the, the highest upside guy that they, they have on their team just because of that two way potential. And um, Killian Hayes to me, I'm confident he's going to be a good rotation player for sure. He's a guy I wouldn't be upset with. I, I might, grown a little bit on draft night just because it's taking another guard and that's really not the direction I want to go um but I, I don't think they're, they'd have a problem with him uh coming off the bench to, to start his NBA career I, I think that there are interesting things you can do within a rotation to make that work um and it would be a little more seamless than uh LaMelo and uh, the the biggest thing to that too is just the defense is less of a question mark when it comes to Hayes yeah, definitely. Um, I, th- I think I would treat him on draft night a lot like I treated Garland last last year, where I I kind of groaned, but it was more at the process of roster building than the player it's, than the player himself. I didn't mind Garland. I minded the fact that they took Garland right after taking Sexton, and I think I would feel the same way about Hayes. Mm-hmm. Plus, you had the added context of, hey, this next draft is pretty guard-heavy, which is not something that was on my radar absolutely at all. Carter, do you have anything to add before we move on from Hayes? No, let's keep it moving. We're, we're about 45 minutes in, that's, and that's I also right. don't know what I'm talking about. We, we started late. We started late. It's not 45 minutes in. James Wiseman is next on the big board. I'm not going to spend tons of time on him because – Hey, Cavs fans, if you're not a huge fan of Andre Drummond and the way that he plays basketball – I, I'm pretty confident Wiseman's just a worse version of Drummond and, and doesn't even have that high of a ceiling. Trevor, do you agree? Car- actually, Carter, you, you, you weigh in on Wiseman. Let's, let's keep the, uh, the format consistent. I'm thinking worse Andre Drummond based on those sentences. Woo! Trevor, what do you think of that hot take? I, I, I think I can get behind it. Um, yeah, he, he's not good. Next. All right. Uh, <laughs> where, where is he on your board? I, I actually do want to ask about this, this because – yeah, there's a world in which the Cavs take him, and I think we should, uh, even though I think we actually kind of are all aligned that we're not huge fans with what we know, um, at least what I know, uh, why, why, where do you have him on your board, and why is there such a difference between your board and, you know, where he is on Tankathon's big board? I think there's just this out, kind of outlandish idea that he's going to be able to add a ton of skills to his game, um, which I don't know where that comes from because he did not show any sort of like predisposition to becoming a shooter or being like this really potentially high level passer in AAU. He was pretty much the guy he was in college, which was a rim runner, a post up, a post up finisher, and a pretty underwhelming defender who blocked a lot of shots. And that's what he was in college. He finished pick and rolls. He scored some in the post. And he blocked a couple shots and was pretty miserable on defense otherwise. Um, I I have him 19th on my board. Um, 
And I think the perfect encapsulation of kind of why I have him there is I have him one spot below Xavier Tillman, who's the center from Michigan State. Um, Take your word for it. Uh, of course. Yeah. And Xavier I and the reason that I have Wiseman one spot below Tillman is they're both similar size guys. They're both pretty similar athletes, meaning they're kind of underwhelming, like quickness guys. They're big, lumbering, um, kind of traditional big men. Wiseman is all kind of theoretical stuff, but he has like these couple of skills that I think are going to translate the pick and roll finishing. And I think his ability to block shots, if he's kind of the last man back, whereas Tillman shows some passing potential shows some shooting potential is a really good finisher is able to block some shots and also is probably the best big in the class in terms of defending in space. And Tillman is projected to be a second round guy and Wiseman's projected to go top three. And I don't understand why you wouldn't take Tillman ahead of Wiseman when Tillman seems to me like he's going to be a lot more functional in terms of like Carter said earlier, playing this guy in the playoffs as opposed to Wiseman. Wiseman is absolutely not a guy you can play on a good team in April. Um, he's, he's going to get played off the floor unless he develops some, uh, some skills that he just doesn't have right now. How much confidence do you have in, in your take uh, on Wiseman? Because I, I agree, but you're also dealing with a limited sample size. I and mean, if I can play devil's advocate – you didn't. He didn't even have a, a really a full season at Memphis to adjust and to grow and to show what's what's there. So when when you're scouting a guy like that, how much can you stock? Can you really put on the limited footage that you have? Well, I I think that that's a that's a good point, and that's kind of why I've always hedged um, being like, yeah, I've got him 19th because like I can't drop him any further than that because. He's a, he's a really good athlete, and there's potential that he could really, really grow once he gets in the league. But I think the thing that sticks with me is kind of knowing some of the stuff that's come out about him, um, you know, where he, you know, he's given himself nickname or of like the big ticket that came out like a couple of days ago. He thinks he, he thinks he's Kevin Garnett and like you and you see the highlight video of him working with his trainer. And the only thing that comes out from that is him bodying this 5'10 dude in his 30s and dunking on him and it's like okay that's what you've been working on this whole time you've had six months to prepare and that's what you've been working on like I, there's just some mental stuff with him that I'm not totally sold on that you're kind of getting hints of and like interviews that he does and like highlight tapes that leak out on him that kind of I think that reinforces and whether that's right or not, I don't know, but that just kind of is what reinforces it to me is like, okay, this guy doesn't have the skills that people think he does. And he doesn't seem to get the fact that he doesn't have those skills. And that's a huge red flag. See, I, I really appreciate that context. Cause I, I mean, there, there are differing opinions when it comes to Wiseman. And I think it's important to kind of dive into why you feel the way you do. Cause I, I agree. And, and my biggest concern when it comes to centers are, is, can they defend in space? Like, I, I really need that from centers in today's NBA. And I, I think that's valid enough reason to not take him high in this draft. I think I think he's the classic example of what, I, I guess the parallel in football would be you don't take a running back high. You don't take a traditional center high in the draft because there's mm-hmm. just high replacement value to them. Uh, um, Tyrese Halliburton is the next in, on the board here. Carter, who do you think Halliburton is? Uh, don't have any impressions of his game, but I do imagine he's an oil man who wears a 
a 10 gallon hat. Ever. I, I cannot speak to what he does in his free time. Um, <laughs> and I know Halliburton is just a, that's an oil company, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's where I'm getting that. Um, but yeah, I imagine a, a, a thick drawl, a Southern drawl. Um, and I would maybe, like him more if a, this was true. I would like may, him more. May, maybe kind of a, a homeless man's Russell Westbrook. I I don't know what I don't know what <laughs> Hal Burton is, and I don't think anyone really knows what he is. What I, he is. My, so I'm right. What the Lakers Got have it. always needed a George Hill. Yes, I I think I, that's the that's the closest that I can get. I mean, he is the he is the weirdest game of anybody in the in the top of this draft. He like just does not shoot in the mid range. Um, he he will pull up from three, but he just very rarely does so he also can get to the rim and is is like this elite level finisher but doesn't do it out of the pick and roll despite being a really good point guard he almost always looks to pass when he's driving out of the pick and roll and you know with good reason he's a really really good passer um and he's a really good like point of attack defender who if you get him in certain situations off ball like if you have him defending like a guy coming off screens he's horrible like he is the most like all or nothing prospect in terms of skills in the class. And I just don't know what to do with that. Like, I think that there are going to be roles for him. I think if you put him as like a, as like a two guard next to a ball dominant guy, like he gets mocked to Chicago all the time to pair with Zach Levine. Sure. I think that works great. I, I don't know what he does at the NBA level. I don't know what he does well. I don't know whether the stuff he doesn't do well is bad enough that it's going to make the stuff that he does well not matter. It's he's really hard to peg down. No, you do. You pass on that because the the last thing I want in this draft, I don't think there's anyone that's going to single handedly take the Cavs out of the lottery next year. Like maybe there's a world that's going to be Dylan Windler. Yeah, exactly. Maybe (laughs) maybe there's a a world where the existing players they have the young guys step up. uh, They they all take leaps. Drummond and Kevin Love are bought in it, and you sneak into that eighth seed with thirty six wins. Um, I, I don't think any of these players are really going to do that. And I don't think that's going to happen for the Cavs. So the last thing I want is to take a big swing on a guy that doesn't have massive abs- upside. I don't want to take big swings in this draft. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be uh, the, the best way to go about this. And the next guy in the draft here, I don't think he's a, a big swing. Uh, I think it's kind of clear what he's going to be. And Carter, I want your thoughts on what you think this guy's going to be. Obi Toppin. Oh, well, we were talking on the Light Years pod, and Sam mentioned that he was a terrible defender. And here I was uh, sitting on that pod that was completely sprung on me, by the way. Uh, and <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, I'm glad I didn't weigh in because I thought he was going to be like an Alpha Ruka Mino type, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a 3 and D kind of, you know, athletic uh, big wing hybrid that mostly uh, get, you know makes his money on the defensive end. Come to find, he's like the worst defender among bigs in the draft or something. So um, now I think he is like um, maybe like a more of a finishing uh, at the rim and less of a shooter Tobias Harris type. I. I don't even have like a real skill comp to him because he he's this he's like the forward version of Chris Dunn like so he's he, so he, he sucks he he's very old 
and he looks really good compared to the rest of this draft class because this draft class is bad, and he played against all the guys in this draft class, and he looked really good in comparison because he's, like, 23 years old. Um, and, like, I think – always works out for the Cavs, though. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, – Jonathan Wasserman, a Bleacher Report, uh, put out a tweet a couple weeks ago that said, here are the players that are older than Toppin, or as old as Toppin will be on draft night that can't have come into the league in the last decade. And it was all dudes who sucked. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I was actually literally looking for that tweet right now. I couldn't remember who had tweeted it. Yeah. It was they, were, they didn't all pretty suck. There, there was a Yoakam Noah in there. Like, he – like Toppin, yeah, he's going to be a good like pick and roll finisher, and I think that he can be something as like a passer, and you can have him do stuff on bench units. But like, he is so bad. As, I have the a, I have the list right. Let's here. go. Uh, list of most recent Lotto picks since 2007, who turned 22 before their draft. Cam Johnson, jury's out. Uh, Chris Dunn, not very good. Buddy Heald, very good. Tarian Prince, not very good. Denzel Valentine, not very good. Frank Kaminsky, not very good. Doug McDermott, turned into an okay player. Kelly Olenek, turned into an okay rotation player. Jimmer Fredette, not very good. Wesley Johnson, not very good. Akbe Udo, not very good. Hashim Pavit, not very good. Tyler Hansbrough, not very good. I assume that's Brandon Rush. Yep. Uh, Joe, Joe Kim Noah. A.C. Law. <laughs> Is that Marcus Thornton or Al Thornton? Al Thornton, yeah. Oh, wow. I, you know, I, I really thought Al Thornton had something. <laughs> coming out of school it's yeah. not an inspiring list let's just say that much no, especially it, given that like you know a guy like joe noah could have gone out earlier yeah it was very very good for several years obi so, toppin was anonymous till this year here's yeah. my thing with sloppy talk because I, I, <laughs> I do have thoughts I wouldn't be thrilled because, as I said, I want to prioritize defense in this draft, and I don't really think he brings that to the table. I think he'd be fun. I think that he can bring it off the bench. I wouldn't hate watching him play basketball, so I wouldn't be insanely mad about this, but I wouldn't love it. I, I That's not somebody that I, I think the Cavs should prioritize this high in the draft. And age is a factor. Um, not that – I do think that there's a – bit of a market inefficiency when it comes to age like I, I think guys teams pass on guys too frequently uh for that reason and I, I think Clark is a great example of that last year but when that guy is 22 and doesn't play defense that's a concern for me um so I, I don't really think there's a whole lot more we need to say on him I kind of want to get through some of these other core guys I'm, I'm going to go a little rogue Anthony Edwards is next up on this list. This is the lowest I've actually seen him at seven. Yeah, that's Carter. kind of incredible. Carter, Edwards, thoughts? Uh, I, it seems like the world's been pretty hard on Anthony Edwards um, based on, like, he kind of was a hot name early on, and then SEC play was pretty hard on him. Who the fuck did he play with in Georgia? Seems like he didn't have a lot of help there. Um, I don't know. I kind of got the vibe that he – like, everyone's joke is that he's Deion Waiters reincarnated. But it seems like he's got some passing chops uh, in terms of the kind of passes he can throw. He's also not um, fat. Not fat, which helps. Um, I don't know. He feels like a better uh, – kind of a, a good combo guard. Like, Deion Waiters, but with a bit better passing vision Trevor. that he doesn't always execute. 
Yeah, I, I think that the jury's definitely out on him. I think there's two things that he can really, really do well. He's going to be able to pull up from 30 feet, and he's going to be able to get to the rim whenever he wants. It's just a matter of getting him to do both those things. Um, I, I think that defensively he can eventually come around. The thing that keeps me high on Edwards is the fact that, like, knowing a little bit about his background, this is a guy who was, like, an all-state football player and kind of dabbled with basketball and then junior year came out and played AAU and just destroyed everybody. I didn't realize that, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. Like someone that's played against former football players. uh, Yeah. That, that, that. (laughs) Yeah. Like this, like this dude was like a four-star football recruit and then kind of realized one day, well, shit, I'm a five-star basketball recruit. Maybe I should pick that. And like, he's still kind of learning the finer aspects of the game. And I think that, I I have hope for him. I don't want him on the Cavs because, again, waiters comp, uh, comps will be everywhere. And, again, it's the mouths to feed uh, conundrum. But, like, I, I am pulling for this guy because, like, he looks like – He leads the draft and looks like an NBA passes. He yeah. threw some crazy passes to start the year, didn't he? Yeah. Like a couple, like, major highlight thread the needle. Yep. Skip passes and, like – I always feel like when people throw passes like that, my ears perk up because it's just like a general acknowledgement that you have some understanding of basketball beyond a very rudimentary level. Um, So that kind of has me like believing in him a little bit more. I know that's a very uneducated take, but I do think there's some credence to people who can make passes like that. I want to make a decision here because RJ Hampton is next on this list. And with how high the Cavs are going to be drafting, if you're going to be taking a, a player in that mold, you're going to be taking one of Lamella or Hayes. Uh, like, RJ Hampton really doesn't do a whole, whole lot more uh, for me. And Trevor, am, am I making a mistake here? Because the Cavs are going to be picking top six. No, I mean, R.J. Hampton is a guy that you take and then you reevaluate in your, at the end of year three because, like, he is going to suck as a rookie. Um, he, he's not, he's not going to be very good. He's so thin and he's so raw that like, he, he just is not going to have, I think a very, like a very short development curve. Um, and I think that you, he's a guy that I would worry about like the Cavs being rash and making a move too early on. Because do, you, do you think, do you think he's a better prospect than Darius Garland? No. Okay, no. well, that, that solves that, in my opinion. Yeah, it feels yeah. like a hard no on this guy. Yeah, D- yeah. Denny Ajiva. Oh, my God, did I butcher his last name? I've never said it out uh, loud. I just realized that. Denny. Just say, Avdija. Think of it like you're Brad Pitt and Glorious Bastards and just say it phonetically, and it works. Avdija. <laughs> Avdija. There you go. Oh, uh, that's what's <laughs> in my mind. Carter, what type of player is in your mind here? I'm thinking Andre Kirilenko 2.0. Trevor. Um. Oh. Scale it back a little bit on defense. Um, I, I think that he's like he's going to give you the same things as Chetty. Um, he's just another Chetty, but a little bit smarter, a, li- a lot better as a ball handler, a little bit better as a shooter, and probably just as good as, as a defensive prospect. Well, that's um, not good. Chetty's not a very good defender. <laughs> but, I mean, like as a, as a prospect, the Cavs have certainly not done anything to encourage Chetty's defensive development here um but if you think back to like when he was coming in we thought he was going to be you know decent um, he's also th- taller at six nine too right yeah so like so like i i think he's going to be a guy that's just like 
fine. Um, I don't, I don't have like really high hopes for him as like a, as like a top like rotation core piece, but like you need guys like him to make your roster functional. Like you need a guy who's six, nine and just makes good decisions. Every team does. So like, and the Cavs yeah, haven't not had to, a, one not of those to lean guys. too hard on the uh, Israeli basketball player uh, comparison here, but um, You're going with could Caspi. could Omri Caspi be kind of a well? I th- like I think Caspi had a run as a smart role player. Yeah, I I think that's the type of value. Justin, were you really trying to cancel me there? <laughs> that's not that offense. That's not offensive. I'm not <laughs> saying that it's offensive, but I'm just laughing. Well, I mean, I did see Caspi in the in the finals when he was with the Warriors, and that was probably the worst finals performance I've ever seen. Yeah, he was awful. But there was a stretch where he was a very capable role player. Yeah, could shoot a bit, could could move the ball, but would never be your lead creator. Um, yeah. you know, could defend okay. That's like, kind of what you're going with 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 Abdija. Yeah, you know what? We we you should dick. We don't should laugh do... at me. That was a good faith uh, comparison. <laughs> you know what? We we should do a series on that finals from Caspi, a, a Caspi of champions. Uh, that's going to be our next rewatch series. Justin, are the edibles kicking in for you right now? Not yet. V- very soon. <laughs> like I, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. It's very possible. You know what's actually getting me really excited though? And Denny, Denny's a guy that I was kind of high on. Trevor, tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm starting to feel like he's going to be a bit more of a four in the NBA. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that his like ball dominance, especially as a youth player, kind of bred the idea that he was going to be like a playmaking wing at the next level. But like the more we've seen him, the more I think that his game is well suited to play the four with a little bit of three, depending on certain lineups. Like he, like we talked, we mentioned Tobias Harris earlier, like that type of role, I think is going to be what you, in terms of like lineup usage is what you're going to expect from, from Abdija. I think that he's going to play like a majority four on the bench and then maybe you're starting him as a three um is kind of is kind of what i would expect well you know what that's i i see the need for that on this team but that kind of when i started thinking of him more as a four i kind of became a little more lukewarm on him i don't need blue chew though because i waited all this time i lasted this damn long without talking about my new second favorite prospect in this draft and that is devin vassal and I am all aboard on this pick because it just makes so much damn sense. But Trevor, I I think the question is after we figure out what Carter thinks of this player, what I I want you to think about this. I'm, I'm Kim. Are you okay, Justin? I'm, I'm not, I'm really not. Okay. It's been a long day. By the way, first of all, let's let's just go with the format. Don't preempt me. Okay. (laughs) Um, Go with the format. I'm thinking like, a more three and D version of Kelly Oubre. Okay. Yeah. Trevor. Yeah. Like, wait, this what is we... knowing literally nothing about him. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Cause he's a, he's a little bit smaller than the guy I would comp him to. I, I think he's a lot like Otto Porter. Um, kind of brings you, kind of gives you the same type, same types of skills. Um, he's a little bit shorter. I think Vassal is six seven. Um, Porter, I think, is around six nine. Um, so he's a little bit smaller, probably a little less able to play like the four. I think he's probably going to be more like a full time three. Um, but 
Yeah, this this is just a dude that I think during the quarantine, everybody that's been watching tape has just kind of gone back and realized, well, shit, this guy's good at a lot of stuff. And there are a lot of guys in the top 10 that aren't good at a lot of things. Maybe we should rank him higher. <laughs> um, so, like, so like he's, you know, he kind of fits the mold of, like, a late lottery prospect where you're kind of thinking, like, yeah, this guy's going to be, like, our seventh man for the next decade, and that's fine. Like, we don't expect him to be a starter. And then, like, you kind of look at the draft class, and you're like, maybe that guy you can take, like, seventh and get away with it. Um, I don't know that I would take him above, like, five just because the the – upside of him like becoming like a core piece is is really not there where like you know you can't expect him to eventually take on like a ball handling role I just don't think it's there for him but like it it, it goes back to what we talked about with the Kongwu he's the other guy along with the Kongwu where you go into this draft and your plan is just give me a starter two years from now and he's the other guy that I feel pretty confident is that type of guy yeah, starting wing that plays defense and can shoot the ball. Like, he, he's got such a high release point, and, like, that to me is a, a guy with good form. Like, he's basically – is it fair to say that he's kind of what we were hoping Mikhail Bridges would be before they butchered his shot? Yeah, like, but with the caveat that, like, Vassal can, can defend some fours in the NBA and not die. Oh, my God, we need one of those. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> really I'm really sick of uh, Chetty four minutes in the twenty in the twenty games. Love misses every year. You know what? This is my stance on this draft. If you're in the top five, take a Kongwu, and if you fall to six, take Basil. Like that. That's basically where I'm at. Those are the two guys that I really wanted. There's plenty of players in this draft that I would feel okay with. Uh, there's not a whole lot that would horrify me because I don't really feel like there's a huge opportunity cost. Uh, if you make the wrong pick here because this is just not a very good draft and ultimately probably gets you in a higher position in a very good draft next year. So Vassal is one of those guys just because it it makes so much sense. It it works for me and I just don't want to bust in this draft and I I just don't think that that is in his future at all. Can I ask a question that uh, is a, a bit in bad faith? Okay. Um, Trevor, what percent chance would you say there is that Dylan Windler is the best rookie on the Cavs next year? Um, <laughs> this is – see, this the is really – The pause is horrifying. Yeah, this is really well, – You all, would hope the answer is zero. <laughs> the tough part of all of this is the fact that it's bad faith because that's assuming Windler's going to play. Uh, let's say Wendler plays and is about as good as, you know, you expected him to be, but okay. with the year of, of being older and being around an organization. I, w- I would say maybe like, maybe like 20%. Um, I was, was too high. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't super high on Winwer, but also like, I think there are going to be a disproportionate amount of these guys where it's going to be like 13, where it's just going to, the rookie of the year, uh, race is just going to be a wasteland and then you look like three years later and you're like oh there were actually some decent players that came out of this draft um well i just watched vassal's uh highlight reel while uh, justin was talking i'm in baby this guy yeah. looks great yeah, yeah. Been- it turns out when you cut out all, all the bad plays and only show me the good stuff i'm a big fan <laughs> you know what comparing him to Otto porter jr that's the guy i wanted first overall so you know what <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. I, I'm very comfortable with that uh, comp. How 
do you think how how do you feel about Darius Garland? But let's wrap this up with this. Do you, do you think any of the the guards um, are how many do are you confident are better than Darius Garland as prospects? I. Uh, Killing Hayes, I think that's it. Because um, I'm not confident in Lamelo at all, and I think being confident in Lamelo is foolish. Um, I, I think that I think that Hayes is for sure better, just because of the size and the ability to be able to do things other than like have the ball in his hands and be able to score. Um, I, I don't think that any of the other guards in the class are are for sure better. Um, Tyrese Maxey, I don't think I don't think it's better. Um, I think that he could. I think that he could be, but I'm doubtful. Cole Anthony is just a worse version of Darius Garland. Um, Halliburton is like the opposite player of Garland, where like he is good at things that Garland really isn't really isn't good at, and horrible things that Garland is good at. Um, so like I I don't. I, I don't think that there's anybody really that I w- that they would draft, and I'd be like, okay, like. I feel comfortable like moving on from Garland in favor of this guy. And that is all the argument I need to not take a guard in this draft. Like that, yep. that, that give me Okongwu or give me death. <laughs> I, I love that. I have basically turned you two into like Pacers fans. Like give me the safest option possible. Let's just build a team. Yeah, who makes the playoffs every year. Yeah, let's yeah. just make the, yeah, let's just make the playoffs and like stars who, what, maybe, I don't know. Like, let's just build a team of guys that Dude, I, aren't going to make mistakes. Bro, I've said this a billion times. All I want is for a team that just punches above its pay grade. Trevor. Like, and, um, like, they certainly aren't that right now. I just want to add, I love you. I'm glad you're on the podcast here. But you're taking way too much credit there. A lifetime <laughs> of pain has turned me into someone that is very risk averse. I you know what? I'm I'm risk averse when there isn't the high upside there. Like that that's the thing. Like if you don't have the potential to be a star, I don't see the point in taking a swing on a guy that okay, he looks like an NBA player. Oh, he might be a volume scorer that's not that good someday. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, this is not the draft for that. Next year, next year, let's let's stay in the lottery and, and get someone that can really make a difference next season. Um, but you know what? It's it, I think it's going to be okay whenever this draft happens. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very interested uh, to, to see what the Cavs end up doing. Oh, I have one last thought before I wrap this thing up. There's no way in hell the Cavs should prioritize trying to get a second pick in this draft. Is that correct? God, no. <laughs> hell yeah. um, well, well yeah, I regret to inform you that Dan Gilbert has already drafted Cash Winston. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, just – like, like the fact that there are like three Michigan State guys and one Michigan guy that I would consider taking like the early second round is terrifying because like only one of them is good and it's Tillman. Um, I want to be honest. If the Cavs win the lottery, what the first thing they should do is call around and see what's available. If they're pairing that pick with Kevin Love or uh, basically anyone on the roster, like let's let's find out what's going on because people will always be attracted to the mystery box. And if you can get a good young prospect, I, I think they should prioritize that. Yep. Trade down, baby. <laughs> Trade down or out. Let's, let's do this thing. All right, Trevor, really, really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. For all of our listeners, if you're new to the podcast, go follow him on Twitter at Illegal Screens or read him at The Step Back or read him at FearTheSword.com. 
And if you want to support this podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. Again, want to thank everyone for your support for the uh, City of Champions series. It was a ton of fun, and you guys really, really made it something special for us. So thank you for that. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you to Carter. Thank you to Trevor. Until next time, go. Ahead.